This is the BBC. Perhaps you'd expect that some of Mozart's most affectionate and joyous music was written for himself and his beloved sister to perform. But it might come as a surprise that Mozart composed such a piece in the wake of a series of bitter disappointments, loss and grief. I'm Tom McKinney, presenter of Record Review on BBC Radio 3, and for this podcast edition of Building a Library, reviewer Sarah Walker compares recordings of Mozart's ebullient concerto for two pianos in E-flat, K365, ranging from pairs of modern concert grands to tinkling forte pianos. The dramatic power and sheer joie de vivre of Mozart. Just a tiny sample from the finale of his concerto in E-flat for two pianos and orchestra. The pianist there, father and daughter Emile and Elena Gillels, with the Vienna Philharmonic under Karl Böhm. Captured in 1973, a well-loved and well-respected recording that certainly withstood the test of time. But 45 years later, the competition has burgeoned. In the current catalogue, we have orchestras large and small, Austrian, German, Belgian and British, tinkling forte pianos and heavyweight concert grands. It's fascinating to peruse such a colourful variety of approaches, and I want you to sample the whole rainbow. Let's go back to the opening of the piece and experience the shock of authentic period pitch, quite a bit lower than the version of E-flat that we just heard.
Belgian orchestra Anima Eterna with director Jos van Immerzeel at one keyboard and Yoko Kaneko on his right-hand side at the other, both of them playing forte pianos based on originals by Mozart's contemporary Anton Walter. That bouncy, full-bodied opening sets the perfect atmosphere for this concerto. Originally written, it's generally believed, in 1779, while Mozart was still in his native Salzburg, and with extra orchestral parts added three years later, after he'd moved to Vienna, the prominent timpani that we just heard, along with clarinets and trumpets, were the new additions. Well worth it, in my view, although many excellent recordings beg to differ. The original soloists were Mozart himself and his talented sister Nanel. Their relationship was an affectionate one, often wickedly humorous, and this double concerto, known as number 10 in E flat and number 365 in the Kirchel catalogue, must have been an ideal vehicle for them. The pianos converse, sometimes politely taking turns, sometimes speaking together as a single entity, sometimes ganging up against the might of the orchestra with thunderbolts of thrilling chords and streams of rapid passage work that leave us in no doubt as to who's in charge. Performing the work must have helped to raise the young pianist's spirits. Their mother had died not long ago while Mozart was away on a gruelling European tour. He'd also been jilted by the love of his life and had failed to secure a longed-for appointment that would save him from what he called his Salzburg slavery, challenging times. Well, there are a few sibling soloists amongst my selection of recordings today. Does that relationship give them an edge? young Dutch brothers Lucas and Arto Jussen with Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St Martin in the Fields and a recording that came out and was very well received just a couple of years ago. Piano 2 introducing that lyrical main theme in the lower register is allowed to sing with a different voice, softer and gentler than Piano 1. Though when those semiquaver passages start to blossom, the players share the material with perfect equality. As one review put it, even their mother would struggle to tell them apart. Well, let's hear another very successful sibling partnership. Katia and Marielle Labec will continue, more or less, where the Yussens left off. (laughs) ¶¶ 
Katia and Marielle Labec with a sense of joyful music making. But for my ear, their light, almost scampering touch doesn't marry well with the weight of the Berlin Philharmonic, conducted there by Semyon Bichkov. And to me, that version lacks a rhythmic steadiness, a grounding, with some of those imitative piano sequences rushing slightly. For me, this recording has a greater sense of authority. Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper. Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper recorded in 1977 with Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St Martin in the Fields. And we heard that lyrical theme, Mozart's second subject, being developed in some intriguing ways a little further on in the opening movement. Brendel and Cooper were teacher and student back in the early 70s and, like the Jussen brothers whom we heard earlier, they're perfectly matched. Without looking at the score, it's impossible to tell where one player rounds off and the other takes over. Both have the same exacting approach to articulation. More than any other team, they make a really big distinction between detached notes and smoothly linked ones, which brings great character to the music, a certain edge which I like very much. The passage we just heard leading up to a thrilling cadenza, which I'll explore in a few minutes' time, contains some of Mozart's greatest writing for two players with an incredible variety of textures, and the technical demands start to become more overt. So let's check in with more of the big guns of the pianistic world. Here are Daniel Barenboim and Vladimir Ashkenazi. <laughs> Thank you. 
a very different approach from what we've heard so far. Vladimir Ashkenazi and Daniel Barenboim. Barenboim also directing the English Chamber Orchestra. Lots of extreme delicacy, intimacy, the dynamics and tempo, more subject to fluctuation. For me, it doesn't work as well as a more robust, unsentimental approach to Mozart. The bold directness I'm looking for is definitely a feature of my next recording, with Robert Levin and Malcolm Bilson playing forte pianos, both of them modelled on a Viennese instrument owned by Mozart himself. Fantastic rhythmic energy in that passage as Mozart racks up the tension to prepare us for a virtuosic cadenza. Malcolm Bilson and Robert Levin on reproduction forte pianos and John Elliott Gardner conducting the English Baroque soloists. The vitality of that recording is very special and, as you'll have heard there, the keyboard instruments have a magnificent buzz when they descend to the lower register. That recording uses Mozart's earlier orchestration, the version without clarinets, trumpets and timpani, but it's certainly not short of colour. I hope that passage left you yearning to hear the soloists burst forth into a cadenza, one of the most important conventions of the 18th century piano concerto. So let's dip into another really splendid recording, grand pianos this time, played by Christian Zacharias and Marie-Louisa Hinrichs, with Zacharias directing the Bamberg Symphony Orchestra from the keyboard.
Christian Zacharias and Marie-Louisa Hinrichs, recorded in 1995. I like the rich sound of both pianos and orchestra, and the way that although they can melt into an expressive languor at times, they return to rhythmic precision in a very decisive way. That cadenza has led to speculation over the dating of the concerto in E-flat for two pianos. The piece is in Mozart's catalogue as being from 1779, but the paper on which the cadenza is written is a type used earlier in the 1770s. It's partly in his father Leopold's handwriting too, a good example of the sometimes confusing inner workings of this family business. Let's hear from another duo working with grand pianos, though this time amidst the expanded orchestra of Mozart's Viennese version, they're Murray Pariah and Radu Lupu. And like Baron Boyman Ashkenazi, whom we heard earlier, they're joined by the English Chamber Orchestra. <laughs> Radu Lupu, Murray Pariah and the English Chamber Orchestra. The way they play the cadenza is intriguing. They dip to a level of extreme softness and for a moment I wondered if they're too subtle for this sort of work, designed to be heard in a large hall before a large audience. But as it turns out, that softness is part of a clever showmanship because they return to full power on that final trill, allowing the orchestra to come blasting in. It's a wonderful moment, especially in Mozart's Viennese orchestration, complete with clarinets, trumpets and timpani. Why would anyone not want to perform this version? Well, let's return to another recording of the Viennese version. Josvan Imazel and Yoko Kaneko on forte pianos with Anima Eterna. Less contrast in the dynamics here, and the cadenza maintains a higher intensity throughout. <laughs> Thank you. 
Josvan Imazale and Yoko Kaneko on forte pianos with the period orchestra Anima Eterna. A thrilling cadenza from them with a percussive brightness from the keyboards. And there's an enormous punch from those period instruments, trumpets, horns and timpani rounding off the movement in style. Well, let's go on to the central slow movement and hear from an ensemble more closely connected to the composer than perhaps any other, the Mozarteum Orchestra of Salzburg. The pianists are father and son, Karl and Till Engel. Swiss pianist Karl Engel and his son Till Engel with Leopold Hager conducting the Mozart AM Orchestra of Salzburg. The composer's widow, Constanze, and his two surviving sons, Franz Xaver and Karl Thomas, helped to set up the orchestra in 1841. A wonderfully pearly quality from both pianos there, though the recording lacks the polish that other versions have, and those prominent oboes play with a rather obtrusive vibrato to my ears. It's not the most beautifully blended sound. Let's return to Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper. Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper with Sir Neville Mariner conducting the orchestra he founded in 1958, the Academy of St Martin in the Fields. Despite the slow tempo here, the music never drags. You can always feel the beat in a very physical way. 
In this next recording, this andante movement has an almost identical tempo to what we just heard, but it doesn't quite achieve that flowing feel. Matthias Antol conducting Concentus Hungaricus with pianist Jena Yondo and Danish Vajon in the central movement of Mozart's Concerto in E-flat for two pianos. To me, this performance sags a little. We need more characterization of the different rhythmic values and perhaps the articulation could be more projected. Would a slightly faster tempo help the music move along? After all, andante doesn't literally translate as slow. It suggests a walking speed. So let's hear from a pair of forte pianists, Ronald Brautigham and Alexei Lubimov, recorded in 2006. Their intensively researched album includes both versions of the concerto, with and without the instruments Mozart added later, though this movement remained unchanged. tempo in that andante movement than in many of the other recordings I've listened to. Ronald Brautigham and Alexei Lubimov recorded in 2006 with Manfred Huss conducting Haydn's Sinfonietta Vienna. (laughs) 
The lightness of the forte pianos means that the tempo works well. Even when Mozart starts to fit quite a lot of notes in each beat, they never sound rushed. But of the three period instrument recordings I've been listening to, this one is, for me, the least satisfying. Both keyboards and orchestra have a slightly acidic, overbright sound, and I find myself missing the sustaining qualities of the grand piano. Here's a sweeter sound all round. Intensely expressive playing from Jos van Immerzeel and Yoko Kaneko on forte pianos with Anima Eterna. Our two oboes still playing an important role at this later point in the movement, and the musicians there adjusting their sound so as to not be too intrusive. And while I'm comparing period recordings, let's return to John Elliott Gardner with the English Baroque soloists and Robert Levin and Malcolm Bilson on forte pianos. Exceptionally sonorous, perfectly in tune playing from the English Baroque soloists, and a delightful delicacy from our two keyboard players there, Robert Levin and Malcolm Bilson. But could it be that they're slightly overshadowed by the sustaining power of the orchestra? Do those sonorous oboes detract from the gossamer solo piano lines? Let's hear a recording where the balance is very different. Lucas and Arto Jussen with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields and Sir Neville Mariner. Thank you. 
the young Dutch pianists Lucas and Arthur Jussen with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Compared to the English Baroque soloists, the orchestra definitely keeps a lower profile in that recording. The pianists ride the waves effortlessly. There's no overprojection, no cloying exaggeration of the piano's naturally bell-like sound. So, the grand finale. Let's return to one of those full-bodied versions which uses the Viennese orchestration, Murray Pariah, Radu Lupu and the English Chamber Orchestra. Part of the rondeau, as Mozart calls his finale, where a sprightly theme keeps on returning. And in between times, we're taking on brief but increasingly exciting journeys into pianistic virtuosity. We heard Radu Lupu and Murray Pariah with the English Chamber Orchestra. As that extract demonstrated, the larger orchestration allows for more contrast between the lighter and the more emphatic passages, which is a great advantage. But some recordings with the smaller orchestra make up for this by means of sheer vitality. Imogen Cooper and Alfred Brendel, for instance, with Neville Mariner and the Academy of St Martin in the Fields. Thank you. 
the incisive quality of the piano playing blows me away in that recording. Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper, with Neville Mariner running a tight ship, rhythmically speaking. For me, it's more compelling than the version by Lupu and Pariah, which we heard a moment ago, even without those trumpets, timps and clarinets. Both of Mariner's recordings with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields use the smaller orchestration, so let's do a direct comparison. Brendel and Cooper versus Lucas and Arthur Jussen playing exactly the same passage a little way into the finale. The Yussens don't have that grimly determined driving quality that I like in Brendel and Cooper. They don't maintain the intensity in that surging building episode which leads us through a sequence of thrilling minor harmonies. Instead, the dynamics rise and fall. It's perfectly musical, but for me, not as exciting. Let's do another direct comparison. The exact same passage, still with the smaller orchestra of Mozart's original Salzburg version. John Elliott Gardner with the English Baroque soloists and a pair of forte pianists, Malcolm Bilson and Robert Levin. sense of pulse from John Elliott Gardner and the English Baroque soloists, but their tread is quite heavy in that minor key episode, and once again I have the feeling that the lighter keyboard instruments are overwhelmed just by a couple of degrees. 
So this means that I'm now deciding between two recordings, both of which are tremendously satisfying. On the one hand, we have Jos van Imazel, Yoko Kaneko and Anima Eterna playing the Viennese version of the concerto with its fuller orchestration in the outer movements. And on the other, Alfred Brendel and Imogen Cooper with Sir Neville Mariner conducting the Academy of St Martin in the Fields. A smaller orchestra here, but Brendel and Cooper adding such a lot of dramatic impetus. How does the dramatic intensity of Brendel and Cooper's recording stand up against the greater coloristic qualities of my favourite period instrument recording by Anima Eterna? Well, for me, Imazel and Kaneko share that same driving quality as those two distinguished pianists. An objective flavour, a dry humour and well-projected articulation that brings every phrase to life and they're able to bounce off this immensely colourful orchestral backdrop, not just period instruments, which sound great as a whole, but additional trumpets, timps and Mozart's adored clarinets. Important structural points are emphasised, so the whole architecture of the piece gains a brilliant definition. When the piece ends, you really know you've been on an extraordinary musical journey.
The end of what reviewer Sarah Walker calls an extraordinary musical journey. The joyous conclusion of Mozart's concerto for two pianos in E-flat, K365. Forte pianists Jos van Imazel and Yoko Kaneko pitted against the period instruments of Anima Eterna, Sarah's overall building a library recommendation. And you'll find details on the Record Review website, alongside some of her other favourites. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library. Next time, David Owen Norris compares recordings of Rafe Vaughan Williams' song cycle on Wenlock Edge, evocative settings of six poems from A.E. Hausman's collection A Shropshire Lad for tenor, piano and string quartet. You can listen live if you join Andrew McGregor for Record Review next Saturday morning from 9 on BBC Radio 3, 90-93 FM, online and on digital radio. But from me, Tom McKinney, goodbye. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.